0: And let's pray together. Blessed are you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You stretched out the heavens. You established the earth. Your love for all you've made is steadfast and sure. And may we love you also, Lord, almighty as thou art. For you have stooped to ask of us the love of our poor hearts. Amen. I spoke with the priest at my mom's church in Canada after he preached on this well-known gospel passage, the post-resurrection breakfast on the beach, and he said, you know, this story is it's almost unfairly easy for a, a preacher. There's just so much here. And this is a natural time for review and reflection for me, of course. I've revisited this familiar, miraculous place on the beach early morning, sand still cool under the feet, streaks of pink in the sky, sun coming up, coal fire, a dripping disciple. And Father Steve is right, of course, Uh, though this has been an anchoring story for me, one that has called me back to my calling many times. There's still something newly fitting for a time of transition, uh, relevant for communities of faith, and pertinent For all of us, I think, in a time when the message all around, both pervasive and persuasive, is one of stressful self-making. So this afternoon, not really a sermon, let's just stand there on the beach and look and listen. Of course, if we were around a table together, we could say, look at that, to each other. There is so much there, but the beautiful thing about the story the scriptures tell is that priceless gift that we can enter, walk around, leave, and return again and again for the reassurance of what's familiar and the possibility of finding a new shell on the sand. So today, three images, something about my calling, something about all our callings, something about our responsibility together as members of the family of God, and something about the role of the younger people coming up behind us in our own discovery of purpose. All brief, I have released myself from uh, expectation of saying either the most profound thing I've ever ever said or something radically new and different. So how did the story of Peter uh, being commissioned on the beach become important in my story? Well, when I was 25, uh, David and I were moving on from a church in Edmonton where he had served as a youth pastor, and um, a wise parishioner who had been good to us um, advised us to have a session with a counselor she knew, just for the chance to process the transition and leave well, and she even offered to pay for it. Neither of us, I think, had ever been to a counselor before, but we agreed and we were grateful. And I don't recall what we talked about related to our leaving, but as we were winding up, I stirred up my courage and asked if he would pray for me. I was so hungry to grow as a Christian, single-minded, completely sincere. Um, And besides being a counselor, Father Peter, yes it is great that his name was Peter, um, was an Anglican priest with a prophetic gift. And he prayed a lot of things that I don't recall, sadly, but mostly that was because I was desperately trying to process being prayed for in that way for the first time in my life. Is this like the actual God speaking to me? And I was paying attention to the experience, but not tracking with all the words. But what I do remember was feed my sheep, feed the little children I bring you. And that stuck. And I wasn't sure what it meant, but step by step, year by year, God made it clearer uh, and clearer what he was asking me to do. And many times since then, I've been brought back to that face-to-face encounter with Jesus to hear him reaffirm, that is what I said, keep going. And I don't know if Father Peter would still be alive. I might try to find out next week, actually. Um, But I would like to find out if I could encourage him and say, thank you, For using your gifts and your calling, you heard rightly, and it mattered in my life. Father Christian has a story of being called, but that is his story to tell, and you could ask him. Without the messenger in his story and the yes of Christian and Molly, uh, this group of people would not be gathered here today. It mattered so much. So your calling maybe isn't a pastoral one, and by the way, it's not necessarily your calling is not necessarily your job or necessarily lifelong. Maybe you don't have a story that involves dreams or prophetic words. But at a time when adults and children and youth alike are struggling under the isolating burden of determining who they are based on internal cues, preferences, or their own creative powers. It's not that there can't be work uh, in figuring things out or struggles of all kinds or detours and disappointments, but the point is, as children of the living God, we don't have to make it up. (laughs) The God who made Peter and knows him looks him in the face, asks the question that gets him where he really needs to be, and then demonstrates that he's forgiven, essentially by giving him a job. That's how he knows he's been restored and called. It's so interesting um, as I've looked at this the last little while. There's no accurate naming of the offense. Peter doesn't get to make a good apology and tell how sorry he is or adequately articulate an understanding of how he failed and how that would have been for Jesus. There's no request for forgiveness. There's no words of forgiveness. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? do this. I wonder what it would be like for you, for all of us, to put ourselves in the picture here in Peter's place, face to face, uh, in the sand on a warming up day that's already held both the miraculous and the mundane, and how do you respond when he says, do you love me? Maybe it's not a, a forgiveness for a failure you need, but to hear again what your assignment is, because it's worn you out. Or maybe like me, you want, to hear, you want to ask, what now? What do you see in Jesus' face? Are you meeting his gaze? Or kicking the sand at your feet? Or like Peter, are you looking sideways and asking, what about him? We can come back to that place anytime. And if it's not clear, Jesus doesn't want us to worry. He wants us to be willing beloved young people in our midst, you are appropriately figuring out a lot of things in this stage of your life. Spend some time face to face with Jesus. I promise you won't regret it. So a sense of purpose in life is something we all long for. The calling to feed my sheep, feed the little children I bring you, was a particular calling to me, Whatever our sense of purpose as individuals, as members of the family of God, we all have a responsibility to pay attention to the fact that Jesus put a child in the midst, in the center of the community. And what happens in a church when that's where the children and the youth are is very different from them being part of a well-run, even excellent program. That's another feature of what a church offers. In the center is the best place for them to be for their own developing sense of God, given meaning and purpose. So back to the story. This time, just a little bit before the conversation on the beach when Peter is still in the boat. This time, notice his reaction to recognizing Jesus on the shore. A failure of epic proportions. He's probably felt all the shame, humiliation, disappointment in himself that a person could. And yet, his impulse is to go toward rather than to shrink back. And think of how different that is from the beginning of Peter's story with Jesus. Same setting, same fruitless night of work, same miraculous catch. Peter hasn't done anything in particular to fail Jesus, and yet he shrinks back and says, go away from me. I am a sinful man." What on earth has happened in the intervening time? Peter has come to know Jesus as a faithful friend, not to mention as Christ, the Son of the living God, so that in his worst moments, his impulse is not to shrink back, but to go toward. And isn't that our call in the family of God for the generation coming up behind us? To make way for that trust through friendship with Jesus so that their impulse when they're afraid, when they're weak, when they're lost, when they're asking what is the purpose of my life is to run to Jesus, to close the gap, not to make it bigger. In my treasure box of glory sightings this summer, uh, I have been paying attention as you can imagine. Uh, Here's one that illustrates that impulse. A picture paints a thousand words and also has staying power. This one is staying with me. I don't need a picture of it, a photo. We're outside in the sunshine at Central Park. The story is Jesus and the children. Jesus played by John Lundgren, in one of those coveted yellow kids games t-shirts and a backwards baseball cap, is chewing out the bouncer disciples, played by his professional bouncer grandsons, and the kids are seated at a distance watching. Let the children come, says Jesus. Totally unrehearsed and from a distance, Rachel says to quietly to a crowd of 30 kids, go and it seemed like all at once they leapt up and ran not knowing or caring what they were supposed to do when they got there no one thinking I don't know do I really want to participate it was it was so like Peter jumping out of the boat without thinking times 30 and I again I don't need a a photo I I have in my mind the angle of their bodies their smiles their eagerness to cross the distance and get to where Jesus was Having young people in the midst is not just for their healthy growth as beloved children of God, though, so that they grow up to find their calling. We know this. It's for us. They're already called by God to take their place for the sake of us who are still becoming what we are called to be, children of the living God, because their way of seeing Jesus, their questions, their way of hearing his voice, being who they are, They have a calling in the body of Christ as children and youth, now, not just a future one. Here's a recent picture of that, also going into my treasure box of glory sightings. This time, though, we go back to the story of Paul, though it would work equally well with Peter standing here on the beach. The story is Paul breathing out murderous threats and on his way to throw Christians into jail. Oops, God has different plans. The question... For the children, after entering that story that day in July, is what on earth? Why would God pick him for the job of bringing people into the church? He hates Christians, and he's trying to destroy the church. From the back row, a recently graduated fourth grader says with a shy smile, it's like a message. Wasn't it um, Os- Oswald Chambers who said the man is the message? Well, anyway, I don't think she reads Oswald Chambers. Seamlessly, a recent graduated first grader who doesn't yet have the word perspective in his vocabulary offers, well, he's going to people who don't love Jesus. He would know what that was like. And there was just something about the succinctness and the immediacy of their perceptions that made the leaders light up at the front who are privileged to be there, just sort of exchange glances and realize that we were in the presence of God God speaking to to and through the children. And let's recognize, too, that we're in danger of not fully perceiving the gift of the child in the midst if we stop at, oh, wow, aren't kids amazing? Like, wow, there's no junior Holy Spirit. Like, you know, isn't that incredible what they said? No. Uh... That was actually a word that I needed to receive at that time about the power of God to set someone on the right path. I could tell you lots of stories like that, as could many, many people in this room. Raise your hand if you have a story of being spurred on by the faith or the question of a child. Yeah. Ministry with kids and youth is a place of formation for us. You don't need a specific calling like I had to line up ASAP to ask someone on your CLT or youth team how you can be involved in some way in blessing the children who will bless you. And before I close, I would like to step out of the story now and remember what my professor at Bethel encouraged those of us serving young people in our churches to do. She said often, take a seat by the window. Our churches are full of children and youth who are well-resourced, well-parented, healthy, have heard from their earliest days about God's never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Their flourishing in security and advocacy is an ongoing work of loving attention, which is a privilege to do. Taking a seat by the window means we just don't forget about the ones who are outcasts, lonely, and afraid, outside our reach, or are they? Here's just a couple of prayer requests from Together for Good this past Friday. Praise God that a new participant family has successfully been placed in a homeless shelter and approved for an apartment to move into after several weeks of sleeping in the streets with her four children. Praise God for her host families who didn't give up on the relationship and kept encouraging her. Pray for a mom who's 33 weeks pregnant and being evicted today. She's especially upset that she's going to have to abandon a beloved pet and leave all of her furniture and possessions behind to go into a shelter. So we do well to remember what God requires as a calling of all his children. And that call is to seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. Carl Barth was asked in Chicago one time, how would you sum it all up, your lifetime of theological pursuit? And he famously said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I have asked myself, hmm, what would I say if I was asked to describe what the work of my calling has been? I think it might actually be the goal of all our callings. And I decided on prepare the way of the Lord. That's our job. Make a path for him to demonstrate his power in a life and in the world. Nothing wrong with saying often to children and to each other, God loves you, seeing as it is the most important thing we need to know as humans and very difficult to accept sometimes. But it is good for us to ponder why Jesus thought it was essential for life in the kingdom for Peter, for Paul, for us, for the children, that we also know that we also know that we love him and are willing to say yes to his call. And his goodness and his mercy follows us all the days of our lives. Amen. Please pray with me. And now, Lord, I must ask you, even with all I know of your mercy and grace toward me, to tend to the fire of my heart with the fire of your love. I must ask you to blow on the coals and fan into flame my love for you. I will give you what I have. I will listen for your voice. I will sit with you, and I will get up and go where you ask me. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Amen.